Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. How many of you knew that there was a secret room in the Kirk House? Ah, the Kirk House is the three-story Victorian that's uh, two doors down. Uh, it was built as a single-family dwelling by Charles Hind, the guy who came to Coronado to develop the Coronado Ferry System. It, 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 was, a, it was a private home uh, until 1946. It was built in 1893. It was a private home until 1946 when it was purchased and converted into a hotel-slash-boarding house called the Hotel Ritz. And primarily, it was used by military families who were transiting in and out of Coronado. But as you can imagine, the house was completely remodeled uh, inside to turn it into a hotel. Well, it remained a hotel until 1953, when it, uh, uh, a member of the church heard that it was going on the, on the market and, uh, and went to the pastor at the time, Ken Carson, and said, hey, the hotel's going on sale, the church needs to buy it. And the pastor kind of hemmed and hawed and said, well, I don't know if we can actually afford that, uh, let me talk to session. And the member said, too late, I already put a down payment on it, it's yours. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, and, and, and that happened in 1953. The church paid, are you ready for this? $51,000 for that house. Oh, gosh. Which is a lot of money back in 19... 19- it was outrageous. That was a lot of money in 1953. Uh, but anyway, so they converted it from being a hotel slash boarding house and turned it into Sunday school classrooms. Uh, and that's what it was. It was Sunday school classrooms, and uh, because on the other side, where our beautiful Christian education building now stands, uh, that was uh, a carriage house. Uh, and eventually the carriage house collapsed, and uh, the church said, hey, let's build a Christian education center. Let's do better than that. Let's, let's, let's raise the block, and, and, and we'll build a, a worship center, uh, and that'll be the style of architecture of the, uh, the, the CE building on the other side of the Kirk House. Uh, and so they were going to tear everything down. And Ben and Martha Harris, some of you remember Ben and Martha Harris, uh, they're both with the Lord now, but they went to the session and said, we can't bear to see the Kirk House torn down. Uh, can, can we buy it and move it? And they said, <laughs> yeah, knock yourself out. <laughs> Uh, but word got around that the Harrises were going to buy the Kirk House, and guess what? People got offended. Can you imagine? People got offended and said, well, why do they get to buy it? We didn't even know it was for sale. Why are we selling it? Why are we even tearing it down? It's a treasure. We need to save the Kirk House. And they prevailed. And that's why we have the Kirk House. Uh, and so as the Christian education was built, it was it, a, a caretaker lived there for a while, and it was offices, and it was storage, and it got reconfigured again. And then in 1980, they decided to, to convert the second and third floor into a residence for the pastor. And then, uh, and then uh, the first pastoral family who, who were here before us, the Freebergs, they lived there. Uh, and then we moved in in uh, 19, 
1993. And the church said, hey, if, if there's anything, we really want you to live in that house. What do we need to do to help you move into that house? And uh, there's a bathroom on the second floor, and Jody said, boy, would I like to have a shower in this bathroom. And they said, well, I think we can do that. And they, uh, you might, okay. But in the kitchen, there was one window, uh, but on the outside looking up, there are two windows. And the builder started doing some measuring, and he says, you know, there's something, something's not right here. So they took a ladder up against the second window. The first window looked in at our pantry. The second window, there was a room. There was a five-by-nine room with no door. And so the builder said, we can punch through this wall and put a nice shower in here for you. And they did. They punched a hole in the wall, and they built a shower for us, and they sealed off the rest of the room. The secret room in the Kirk house. Well, some of you know we're in the middle of a remodel right now of the kitchen and the, the laundry room, uh, which is a whole, whole other challenging story. Uh, but Katie Moore, God bless her, uh, she says, I want that space. I want that secret room. I want that space. We're going to convert that into a laundry room for you. And so after we talked about it and the session talked about it and the finance people talked about it, she got her way and it's there. I have now walked into the secret room. There was a, it was a, there was a, a bathtub in there that had to have been made out of fired glazed clay that weighed about 3,000 pounds. And the, and the contractor, Jared, who's doing the work now, he tried every which way he could think of to get that bathtub out of there. But it was so heavy that he was fearful that it was going to buckle the floor if they tried to take it out by a dolly. So they had to smash it into pieces and haul it out piece by piece. So the tub is gone, but the secret room has now been recovered. And I'm a witness to that. You haven't seen it. I have seen it, and I'm here to tell you that the secret room is secret no longer. When it's all said and done, when it's all finished, uh, you know, we'll invite you up so that you can see the, the, the new mud room and the, and the new kitchen and the, and the ex-secret room that is now will, will be our, our laundry uh, facilities once it's done sooner hope, rather than later, hopefully. But... The bottom line is, now you know about the secret room, but you only know about that secret room because I told you about it. I told you about it. I, I, and hopefully you think that my witness is credible. You might be thinking to yourself, where is he going with this? I'm going to the Bible. If you have your Bible, open it up to chapter 1 of the book of John. What we're doing this year in the, in the book of John and through the book of John is doing a deep dive theologically. So we're, we're going to wrestle with, uh, in, in the first week of uh, the new year, we took a hard look at Scripture. Uh, that the, the, and I said to you that as followers of Jesus Christ, it is important for us to understand that we have, there's, there's influences in our lives that are both external and internal. The external influences are culture, it, it has an influence on us, and the Bible has an influence on us. We've got to prioritize those influences. And I suggested to you uh, that for us as followers of Jesus, that the Bible, the Word of God, is the first and 
final authority in all areas of faith and life for us as believers. This becomes our touchstone. This keeps us honest. This keeps us focused and keeps us from kind of veering off into uh, uh, places where we shouldn't go. Uh, And then we looked at God. And we're doing all this in the first 18 verses of chapter 1. We we looked at the attributes of God, immortal, um, invisible, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. And we kind of unpacked all that. And and we're going to spend the year doing that, looking at these things. But we have to ask ourselves the question, why? You know what, that's really fine with me. I mean, I love the sounds of children. But I know parents are, get a little anxious about it. Um, I, I always think of uh, uh, Paul's words in the book of Romans, where he says that the Spirit intercedes with our spirit, with groans and utterings that are too deep for words. So that, that, and if you know me well, you know my favorite prayer is, ah! Because sometimes you just have all that raw emotion, and you can't put it into words. But the Spirit takes that and interprets it into meaningful prayers to God. I think that's what the Spirit does with the the noises of children. So, okay, sidebar. Okay, coming back. So, uh, we're we're, we're spending time learning uh, some of these theological truths. And it is so important for us today to know what we believe, why we believe it, and why it matters. Uh, uh, But what do we do with that? What do we do with the theology, with the doctrine, with the knowledge that we gain? What do we do with it? We witness to it. We witness to the truth that we discover in Scripture and in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're looking at the first chapter of John. Uh, You'll be pleased. I'm going to start at verse 6 today, not verse verse 1. Chapter 1. Uh, uh, John, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all people might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, 
has made him known. There is so much here in these verses. And I am so grateful that this is, what, the fourth Sunday of the month, and I've not gotten past the 18th verse of the first chapter of John, and not one person has complained to me yet. Thank you. John, the guy who went around and baptized people. Some people call him the Baptist. The Baptist didn't come until much, much later. He was a baptizer. He baptized people with water, but he talked about one who was coming. And, it, and, I, and I love the fact that he recognized that he was not the light, but that he was a witness to the light. He himself was not the light. He came as a witness to the light, that light that gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. Sometimes I think we forget that. Sometimes I think that we forget that we are not the light, but that we are witnesses to the light. I can tell you horror stories, and you probably know horror stories of your own, where some worshiping communities get a little too full of themselves and kind of want to scoot God out of the way and sit in judgment on people. Now, does that mean that we don't hold each other accountable and try to follow God's Word? No, no, it doesn't mean that at all. But remember that grace always precedes truth. Twice we see that in these verses. Grace precedes truth. You remember, was it last week or the week before? I don't know, last week really threw me. You can't handle the truth. Remember that movie, that line, you can't handle the truth. And the reality is, without grace, we couldn't. Without grace, truth would absolutely be crushing. But without truth, grace would be destructive as well. It would be deceptive. We need both grace and truth. And we need to remember that we are but witnesses to the truth. We are not the truth. We are witnesses to the light. We are not the light. The world was, uh, uh, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. How well do we recognize him? John himself doesn't really recognize him. John knows. We read about it. We, we, uh, uh, Thomas read for us the passage from Isaiah that talked about the one who was going to cry in the wilderness. And certainly John recognized that for himself, that he was the one crying in the wilderness. But you'll remember he had some pretty raspy things to say to the religious leaders of the day. But he didn't fully recognize Jesus. He had an expectation that Jesus didn't meet. And we'll get to that later on as we work our way through John. But you'll remember when he was in prison, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Lord, are you the one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And Jesus tells his disciples, you go back and you tell John that the blind have received their sight, the lame are healed, and the captives have been set free. First time I went to Ethiopia, one of the guys in our team, he took a Polaroid camera with him. It was so cool. And then he went around and he took pictures of the kids. There were some, we, were, we were way up in the Afar region uh, of, of Ethiopia, and there were kids there who had never seen pictures of themselves, ever. 
And so this, this, uh, this guy, he had a Polaroid camera. He, was, he had to take pictures. And you remember, some of you remember Polaroid cameras. You, you, you pull out the picture. Uh, after you take the picture, you pull it out from the cartridge, and you peel back that top layer. And at first, all you're looking at is a blank piece of paper. But as you watch, the, all of a sudden the definition starts to come into view and eventually you see the whole picture. It, and the kids were just blown away. It was the coolest thing that they had ever seen in their lives. So, I mean, he was snapping. Everybody was coming up to him wanting to have a picture of themselves with their friends and so on and so forth. It dawned on me this week that our view of God is a lot like a Polaroid snapshot. We encounter God, and we think we learn a little bit about God, but the longer we stare at God and and look into His Word, the the picture, the image becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. We do not yet know. We know in part, as, as looking through a glass dimly, but the day will come when we will fully know as we have been fully known. And until that point, we stare intently at the Word of God and we watch the image of God become clearer and clearer and clearer. It's a process, people. John knew this. He understood it. And he points to Jesus. And there's just some... So many wonderful things in here. I've already talked about Jesus being grace and truth. (laughs) I love the book of John. You know that. I've preached through the book of John. I've taught through the book of John. I've read it a gazillion times. I have more commentaries on John than any other book in the Bible. And this last week, (laughs) I saw for the first time that in verse 14 and in verse 18, there was a repeated phrase that I had missed. In verse 14... The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only. And then down in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the right side of the Father, has made Him known. We see hints of the Trinity here, that Jesus is God, the one and only. We see hints of the, of the, of the Trinity here. Uh, uh, oh, where is it here? Um, where he says, uh, he, he who came... Uh, oh, where is it? Let me read it so because I'm going I'm to mess it up. And I don't want to mess it up. Where is it? Here it is. Verse, verse 15. John testifies, crying out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Doesn't that sound a little bit like I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end? All this stuff that, that, that John is testifying and, and his view of Jesus was incomplete. His view and understanding of God was incomplete. The last of the Old Testament prophets, he was calling people back into a relationship with the God that they had covenanted with. Our joy, our opportunity is witness and to invite people, perhaps for the very first time, into a covenant relationship with a God who loves them more than they'll ever know this side of eternity. But we need to make sure that our witness is credible. 
We need to know that our witness is credible. I'm sure you saw the title uh, of the sermon today, The Witness, and you expected me to stand up here at the beginning and say, raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God? Which is, of course, what they used to do when you had to testify in court. And then, and then the, the, I do. Uh, and, and then the one attorney would come and ask a bunch of questions. And the second attorney comes up and does what? Hey, thank you for that, for that witness, for that testimony. Well, I had no idea. We're just going to rest the case and, and admit defeat. No, what do they do? They attack the credibility of the witness. They attack the credibility of the witness. And isn't that what the enemy does? And there is an enemy out there. There is spiritual warfare out there. And doesn't the enemy want to discredit our credibility and attack the witness? Absolutely. How do we make sure that our witness remains faithful and true? Two stories, two stories. Uh, um, so a friend of mine, retired Navy chaplain, uh, he was a hippie before, and, uh, uh, before he became a Navy chaplain, uh, and, uh, it, and he did hippie things. Uh, and he was at the University of Washington, and he was in a philosophy class, and the professor started using ad hominem arguments to discredit the Bible and Christianity. Now, an ad hominem argument is one that does not follow. You would say to me, Pastor, you wear glasses and you're, and you're bald, so your opinions don't count. That's an ad hominem argument, where you attack a physical attribute uh, or a person's character to undermine the point that they're trying to make. It has nothing to do with the point that they're trying to make. So he's sitting there in class and he's watching this, and it, and it made him angry. Not that he was a Christian. He just didn't think that a philosophy professor should be using ad hominem arguments to make a point in a college philosophy class. And so he pushed back. He learned a very valuable lesson. Don't attack the guy with the microphone. So, so he goes home. He, well, home. He was, he was sleeping in a chicken coop at the time. Uh, so he went home and, uh, and, and, and rolled up what may have been uh, an illegal substance at the time and uh, uh, went inside his chicken coop and, and lit it up and started reading the Bible because he wanted to go after this professor. And as he was reading the Bible, he realized that he was reading truth. And it totally transformed his life. He, he, he freaked out a little bit. The first thing that he did was he got rid of all his, what may have been controlled or illegal substances at the time, uh, cleaned himself up, got a haircut, went over to his girlfriend and said, we got to stop doing the things that we're doing. So he knocks on his girlfriend's door. Her mother answers the door and looks at him and says, who are you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he says, i, I got to talk to your daughter. i got to talk to your daughter. So she comes out and says, who are you and what have you done with my boyfriend? He tells her this whole story, she, and, and, he, and, he, and he invites her to read the Bible. The long and the short of it, she read the Bible. She became a follower of Jesus. They got married. They're married to this day. And he tells me that when he was at active duty chaplain and he would counsel young sailors, uh, he, was, he would say, he'd listen to them, and then he would say, he'd say, look, just two things, two things. Do two things for me. Number one, don't lie to yourself. Be honest. Don't, don't, don't lie to yourself. 
Be, be honest. And number two, in that honesty, go after truth. Wherever it takes you, go after truth. Honestly, pursue truth and you'll be fine. And that's all he would say to them. And, and I said, okay. He goes, because here's the deal, David. If they do that, if they are honest with themselves and they honestly pursue truth, eventually that journey is going to bring them face to face with Jesus because Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Brilliant. Brilliant. I don't have to convince anybody of anything. I just need to be a credible witness who points them toward Christ. Another friend, when he went to college, he said, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I, I need to step away from everything that my parents taught me, everything that my pastor taught me, everything that my youth pastor taught me. I need to figure this out for myself. And he sat down and he began reading the Bible. He began reading the Gospels. And guess what happened? He came face to face with the truth. Amazing. Some of you know that, uh, and I'm almost done here, uh, this is, but this is great, you're going to love this. Some of you know that w- one of my uh, favorite authors and, and a, a guy who uh, has just meant a lot to me is Dallas Willard. Uh, Dallas Willard was invited by Trevor Hudson, who is an amazing pastor down in South Africa, uh, uh, invited Dallas to come down and do some work, and Dallas went, and, uh, and Trevor, uh, wanting to... Uh, uh, wanting to impress Dallas maybe a little bit, and also wanting to learn from him, said, Dallas, can you recommend some books for me to read? Can, can, can you recommend some books? And Dallas thought for a minute, and he said, yeah, Trevor, I can recommend four books for you to read. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, <laughs> and Trevor goes, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I know. But... Uh, I've, I've, I, I've read those books. Uh, 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 is there anything else? And Dallas said, why don't you just live in those books for about 20 years, and then we'll talk. You see, this, Dallas knew the same thing that I know, that I myself just discovered it, this last week. As I look more intently uh, I've seen things in these 18 verses that I've just read over. I, I, I never stopped to think about it. But when you take the time to really read and, 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 and think deeply about what you're reading and, and, and even memorize parts of it and, and, and meditate on it, you begin to see things that you never saw before. And that image that you have, that Polaroid image of God that you have, becomes a little more clearer. And your witness becomes even more credible. We are not the light. John was not the light. He came to bear witness to the light. We bear witness to the light. And every single one of us has a story about Jesus and how we encountered Him, and how He's making a difference in our lives. That's your story. I have my story. No one can take that away from us. And the joy that we have is to be able to witness to that story to others 
And if they balk, if they resist, you can say, well, come and see and invite them to be on the journey with you or hand them a copy of just the Gospel of John and say, well, give this a read and see what you think and trust that the Holy Spirit will be at work. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. We are witnesses to the light. We are not the light. The best thing we can do is to invite people to check it out. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the greatest stories never read. Read them yourselves. Spend time in them. Because as you do, that portrait, like that Polaroid, will become clearer and clearer and clearer. And as you do, you'll find yourself drawing closer and closer to your Lord. And you'll be more and more like Him in everything that you do. That, my friends, is living into the kingdom of God. Theology matters. What we believe matters. Why we believe it matters. So that our credibility might be authentic as we witness to others of the truth, but with grace. Amen.